Welcome to this second episode of WeChats, in which we kick off our spooky-themed edition for everyone's favorite time of the year, October. But not everything is about Halloween. Today, we're going to talk about Samhain, a celebration that takes place every year in Edinburgh, which comes from ancient Celtic rituals. To tell us all about it is our special guest, Bradley MacArthur. They are the chair of the Beltane Fire Society, an organization focused on raising awareness and promoting Scottish traditions, such as the Beltane and Samhain festivals, and so much more. Welcome, Bradley. We're very excited to have you here today. Um, well, I've always been drawn to everything related to history and tradition, so I'm sure we're going to learn a lot with you today. And uh, speaking of learning, please correct me, my Gaelic is a bit rusty, and by rusty I mean non-existing. So it's Samhain, is that correct? Yeah, um, so Samhain, I have heard it pronounced um, a multitude of ways, and I think um, there are some people that will pronounce it Samhain, um, Samhain, um, but generally in this society we have called it um, Samhain, just as an easy reference. Okay, thank you. So it wasn't that bad. <laughs> um, thank you. Uh, could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and the Built-in Fire Society? Yeah. Um, so I'm Brad and I am the chair of the Board of Trustees for Built-in Fire Society. Um, so the trustees are the people who are legally responsible for the charity that is built in Fire Society. And we do a lot of the behind the scenes work um, to make sure that we're legally compliant and that all the operations um, to allow the charity to continue doing what it does um, are sort of met in a timely manner. And Beltane Fire Society has been around in Edinburgh since the late 80s. Um, so it started in the late 80s and was sort of set up um, with sort of three purposes in mind at the time. Um, so it was to help reclaim a sort of local green space in the city, um, which was sort of Calton Hill, which at the time had a bit of a seedy reputation. And so people wanted to use that space in a creative and imaginative way. We also wanted to help facilitate a sense of community with people by engaging in something um, and that something happened to be sort of um, our own sort of history um, in Scotland. And we really wanted to connect with that. And we also wanted to make sure that we could sort of mark the changing of the seasons, um, which fitted nicely with the sort of history side of things. So we've been running since the 90s um, with, uh, well, running since late 80s with Beltane Fire Festival, which happens at the end of April. Um, and then in the 90s, as sort of interest grew in what we were doing, we then started doing sort of Beltane Sister Festival, which was Samhain Fire Festival, and that happens at the end of October. So it's basically um, sort of marking off the two different ends of the sort of calendar, um, or the biggest festivals in the Celtic calendar uh, that we recognize by doing those two fire festivals. Well, that's amazing. I think it's a, a great mission that you have of like uh, reclaiming those traditions, right? So all the festivals are related to the moon calendar, right? And the seasons. So can you tell us a bit more about the origins of the festivities? Yeah. So... Yes, as you said, um, the festivals are indeed taken from sort of the old Celtic calendar, 
which was very much based sort of on lunar cycles and sort of the changing of the seasons, because it was very important back to our ancestors to mark certain points in the year. So where you would have around eight sort of festivals um, known as quarter days, where you would have um, sort of Mbalt, which is marking the beginning of spring, um, that happens sort of February time. You have Maybon, which recognises sort of the last time you can have a really good harvest and a feast before winter comes along that happens um, in September. And we've just passed sort of Maybon being recognised. Um, and you'd have sort of Yule marking sort of the dead of winter, the longest night in the year, um, and sort of bringing the community together in those senses. And so for Beltane and Samhain, the two key ones that we marked um, as a charity, Beltane was one of the biggest festivals in the year, um, which was where the people believed that the veil between worlds was at its thinnest. And so spirits of the dead or the creatures um, for, such as fairies and other sort of realms sort of visit and interact with humans. And so it was really significant for that. And it was also, it marked the coming of summer and people knew the days were going to get longer. People were planning for bountiful harvests and um, a, basically a brilliant time ahead of them for the next wee while. And then the companion festival to that is Samhain, which marks the turning of the wheel towards winter. And so it's recognising that where Beltane is all about we're heading towards a summer and it's going to be long and wonderful and great. We recognise that Samhain is also going to happen and we're going to face the darker time of the year coming up. And again, it was another point where the sort of veil between worlds would be thinnest. And so those sort of otherworldly elements again could interact with people. And so the two festivals sort of counterbalanced each other, which was why we felt if we were doing Beltane, the next logical step once we'd gained enough sort of support from people was to sort of mark the other half of the year so that we recognise both the lighter half of what people go through and that we have joyous summers, but also recognising there is a darker sort of side to things and we have to recognise that as well. That's really interesting. So the, the spirits that can cross, you know, between worlds are like the same, like the ones that cross during the summer are good or light spirits and the ones that come during autumn are evil spirits or is it different? Um, I suppose um, it would be, it would depend on your viewpoint sometimes or how you would interact with them. Um, I suppose um, a lot of the time you would associate more sort of friendly and jovial times um, with Beltane. So you would assume more light-hearted spirits but that is not to say that um, people wouldn't believe that if you sort of offended the fae folk or if you'd left out something inappropriate for them you know th they could play tricks and they could be mischievous and you know it was very much felt that we might not fully understand those spirits or how they interact so sometimes it is best to avoid them or to be aware of them and behave um, but yes I think both 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 festivals would probably recognise both good and negative spirits, as it were, and um, but also recognising that they're maybe sort of beyond sort of our comprehension at times, and so it's best to appease or to play tricks. And I'm I'm sure I'll touch more on Samhain and sort of how we would sort of mark that in the past. But yeah, I think there was there was a mixture, but you would probably see more 
lightheartedness with Beltane and then a bit more seriousness with Samhain because of the sort of topics they were facing going into those seasons. That's fascinating. And uh, what about the fire? It's present in both festivals, right? So what's the symbolism behind it or why is it so important? So the fire, I think, is a key factor in the festivals because it was vital to people back in those days. You know, when you're looking back thousands of years at people and how they would connect to the land, I mean, fire was a source of light. It helped to fight off predators. It was a way to sort of cook food. It was a way to keep warm and sort of gather around as a community. So it played a large part in people's lives back in those days, um, more so than obviously now where we've got electricity and various other things um, that can replicate what we had with fire. So it was very key to people then that, you know, if, especially if you are going into the winter and the colder months, you want to make sure you've got fire to keep you all warm. And so it was something that during these festivals, people could coalesce around and it would also bring a greater sense of community. So, for example, at Beltane, one of the old traditions of Beltane would be that um, you would have two bonfires that you would sort of drive your cattle through um, in between. So you would have one fire here, one fire here, and you would push your cattle through in between them so that smoke from both fires would help sort of kill off any bugs or pests that had sort of decided to latch on while they were kept in cap captivity over the winter. So that when you put them out into the field, basically they were clean of bugs, you knew they were going to live, um, or you hoped they were going to live a fruitful time in the field, so that when it came time for harvest, uh, you would have a bountiful crop of animals. And so, you know, that was just one of the key ways that fire would be used at these festivals, which really affected the livelihoods of people back in the day. Because obviously, if you didn't look after your animals, then when it comes time for winter, it's going to a problem, um, but also making sure that everyone was sort of almost bonded by the shared community resource at the time, because if your fire goes out, your neighbours, you know, when, when you're all together, they can share that fire. And so it was really important then, and basically it played a big part because it was a life or death situation. Um, you know, if you don't have fire, you don't have means to cook your food, to light your home to keep yourselves warm and so obviously that plays a big part and it's for us as Beltane Fire Society um, it plays a big part to us because as well as recognizing how sort of important it was to people of the past in the festivals it is also something that a lot of people don't get a lot of exposure to now um, you know nobody's really dealing with open flames on a day-to-day -day basis anymore. Nobody's having to light up a fire every night. And so it also creates something that just connects us to a more primal level and really connects us to how our ancestors would deal with things. By having a big bonfire that everyone will gather around at our festivals, it's almost um, basically reenacting parts of the past that would have happened, where people would gather around as a community for an hour, two hours, and just really be one with each other and just sort of embrace that fire in that poem. Wow, yeah, I never thought of that. Well, you're right, we're not exposed to fire that often nowadays. Yeah, so that, that makes it even more special, right, to have like a special occasion kind of gathering, so. 
And tell me, are these festivities exclusive to Scotland or can we find something similar in other countries with Celtic heritage? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that um, these, these celebrations are exclusive to Scotland alone. I mean, we know that sort of Celtic culture had a sort of wide range across Europe and obviously back in the day, you know, cultures would pick from each other what sounded best or what fit with people. So we know that in Ireland, they would also have sort of Celtic, um, sort of Samhain and Beltane recognitions in various ways, whether that was, um, you know, again, carving turnips to ward off evil spirits or where we've heard of sort of fire festivals that happen in Germany to mark the seasons as well. So there's a lot of sort of fire festivals um, linked around the same time of year. Um, across sort of Europe and that, so you can see where sort of cultures have melded, taken things away from each other, where dominant cultures have sort of spread ideals. And I think the sort of themes that sort of Samhain has to it, where it's bringing together community, but also recognising sort of the veil between worlds being thin and having spirits visiting and such. I think, you know, festivals such as sort of Diwali that happens over sort of in the Indian subcontinent, you know, that is celebrating light and sort of gathering as communities and that happens in October, November time. And then I think with um, Dia de la Muertos, I'm sorry if I butchered that in my saying, um, obviously that is also about sort of recognising spirits of ancestors and creating ofrendas. And I think, you know, that is also shaving that same vein where recognising that the veil is maybe thinnest and you can have family visiting and sort of recognising that. And I think you know, we can see it across different cultures at this time of year. There is something about it that various cultures recognise in various ways across the world. So it's not necessarily just a, a Celtic thing either, but we all seem to recognise around the world at some point that it's getting darker and, you know, maybe scarier. And there's that sort of shared ancestry where we're like, let, let's gather as a community or remember people that have passed and I think that's really interesting as well. So yeah, def definitely not just located in Scotland. I think there's various things dotted across the world. No way. Like it can't be a coincidence. And these cultures are really like never met, you know, during that time and they have so much in common. So there has to be something there, like something else, right? So I, I saw in, in your website, I, I did a, a little reading, um, that the last time that it was registered, you know, like the festival as it used to be, was in the 19th century. And then you started again, you know, doing all this in the 80s, you said. So what happened in, in between? Why did the celebration stop or why did it fade? Yeah, I think, I think um, part of the reason for the sort of drop off in the festivities um, would be that obviously around 19th century time, you're having sort of industrial revolution happening. You're having people really changing what they view as how they interact with the land, um, or at least in Scotland, where it was very much, you know, the onward march of capitalism and progress where, um, you know, the land is a resource and we will mutilate it as we see fit um, without regards to how we fit into nature, in a sense, and almost sort of people thinking of above um, nature, even though they're very much enmeshed into it and depend on it. And so I think part of it was that that changing attitudes and how people were sort of recognizing the natural heritage that they had and sort of growing to the ideas that, oh, well, that, that's old beliefs. That's just superstition rather than 
factual and people wanting to base more things on fact and evidence. Um, and obviously it's hard to say, well, we've got evidence of these fairies that visited at Beltane or Samhain, or we know that the veil is thinnest here or various other things. So we know that obviously with that changing in attitude and the perception of the natural world and how society wanted to move forward in a sense, I think that led to a sort of drop off in active practices or like math, big practices um, where you would have whole communities doing it. Um, and I think obviously there had been years of um, sort of religions sort of taking hold and how society was shaped. And so where you have sort of Christianity rising in sort of Scotland and the rest of the UK and Europe, um, obviously adopts some of those practices that had been happening beforehand and it sort of fades out other ones. So I think obviously with the rise with Christianity over the last sort of couple of hundred years in Scotland as well during that point, it also led to a sort of tapering off in what people would call sort of active celebration, um, I suppose. And I think, yeah, I think it was that recognition back in the late 80s that well, this was a thing that we used to do for, you know, hundreds to thousands of years beforehand, and it's part of our sort of shared heritage. And that was sort of something why, that was part of the reason why we thought it was good to maybe pick that back up and remind people that, yeah, we, we've not always done it because we've had, you know, a couple of hundred years break, but it is something that connected us as a community before. And it'd be nice to do that again, while also recognising that the seasons change, whether or not, people are here to recognize it and um, so it's a nice way to sort of mark that the natural world still has an influence on our lives and how we interact with each other well yeah and honor that heritage and don't let it get lost and it's like part of the identity of the community as well so how different is it like the the modern day Samhain festival from the original ritual has it changed much <laughs> <laughs> um The, the short answer is yes. Um, <laughs> I think anything um, that's obviously happened so far long ago um, will inevitably go through different changes in how sort of society has shaped that celebration. But also because there is there is not a lot of written records or easily accessible written records of this is exactly how we did a Samhain, this is exactly how we did a Beltane, this is, you know, the steps one, two, three, and how you prepare it. And, you know, one of the things that we've been open about as Beltane Fire Society is, although we're marking Samhain and Beltane, we're more taking on the approach of it's an artistic reimagining, um, because we can't guarantee that we are doing exactly the same practices. So, for example, at Beltane, we don't have two bonfires that we're driving cattle through, that we know that, you know, our ancestors would have done but we have one massive bonfire and then we will have people that are doing acrobatics in red body paint that will look like a second fire. And so we, we sort of touch in various ways on some ways that past festivals would have been celebrated, but through a more artistic lens, because we know that back in the past, we wouldn't have had um, people doing acrobatics per se um, to mark the changing of the season. We wouldn't have had people um potentially dressing up as sort of Highland cows singing Gaelic songs. There might have been Gaelic songs sung, but I, I doubt they would have been dressing up as Highland cows that we've had at one of our festivals. And what we've also allowed is a bit more 
free range to dip into cultures where it fits. Um, so we have had um, for one of our previous festivals where uh, one of the group organizers that wanted to run a group, they wanted to bring a more Slavic mythology and how that would fit into Beltane while recognizing the seasons. And so we've really welcomed that sort of cross-pollination of ideas if it fits into the overall narrative of changing of the seasons. Um, but yeah, we're not we're not necessarily sort of carving out um, turnips to ward off evil spirits or asking everyone that comes up to the hill to wear masks to disguise themselves from sort of wandering tricksters. So there was a lot of things that probably are not practiced that used to be practiced, but we do try and pay homage to that where possible um, through, you know, having Gaelic singers coming along, having our bonfire that our community can gather around, making sure that um, one of the key things that we do do that we know would have happened before is what we have on the hill is basically we don't have any fire and we then have one fire that is lit and from that fire every other fire you see on the hill whether it's somebody fire spinning whether it's part of the bonfire whether it's part of the fire sculptures we have up we make sure it's all stemmed from that one sort of fire at the very beginning and that sort of matches the sort of practice that happened in the past where all the fires in the community would be put out and it would create a fresh fire known as the need fire. And from that fire, you would go around and you would relight everyone's fire in their homes so that everyone had the fresh fire for going into the new season. And so they, they all shared that common thread mm. as well. Oh, that's beautiful. It's not like just replicating or trying to imitate what was done in the past. It's like reinterpreting everything and giving room for creative expression. So that's like a great way of creating a new thing out of the of the past so well done well done with that and speaking of the modern world has it got something to do with halloween the way like we know it like from you know more like film and that kind of thing is it really the origin of halloween or has it nothing to do with it um so i, I think Samhain, um I, i know where we've previously practiced it in the city center in edinburgh you know we've had people come along going oh yeah that's that halloween thing um you know while they're out on the pub crawl um, to celebrate the seasons um and yes i think there is a lot that halloween probably has been influenced by from Samhain because obviously Samhain was taking place um before halloween was sort of practiced widely so there are sort of things that you can see in halloween that definitely draw from Samhain um, such as, you know, the carving of pumpkins that happens at Halloween and putting that on sort of doorsteps and windows. That's very much taken from back in the day, we would carve um, scary faces into turnips and, you know, have those put on door porches and in windows. And that would very much be to, if there was malevolent spirits walking about, when they saw that, they would be scared off um, and they wouldn't come and meddle with that household, basically. So, There are, there are sort of veins that have bled through from Samhain into Halloween when that sort of festival started to take over at that time of year and was adopted. And, you know, again, the same with sort of people dressing up at Halloween. Um, obviously, it, it's great for costume companies and um, capitalism in that way for selling candy and everything else. But it does also stem from 
back when, again, you would feel that those spirits were going to come along and you couldn't always tell if they were going to be friendly or more malevolent. And so what people would do is they would take the dressing in odd clothing that wouldn't be like them. They would have sort of masks that disguise themselves. And so that would trick spirits so that you couldn't, if if they were feeling malevolent and they were specifically coming for that person, and by wearing those masks and by dressing differently, the spirit would be confused. And so it would just keep looking. And then, you know, as the veil between worlds closed again, they, they could not wear the mask anymore and they know that they would have been safe. So I think that there is a connection between Samhain and Halloween, definitely. But it is that Halloween has taken sort of some things from Samhain and has sort of incorporated that into its own sort of celebration of the season. Well, I didn't know that about the masks. That's really, really cool. So when you mentioned the, the pop crawl and everything, so what... Has it been challenging, you know, to keep the society interested in the festival and not just like celebrating Halloween? Like, how do you make that uh, shift in their mindset? <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely been an interesting sort of experiment to see how we engage um, not just um, society in Scotland, but obviously we we attract some international attention as well with our festivals. So. Um, it's been interesting to see how we can keep people engaged. And I think one of the key things we've found is that, yes, um, a, lot, a lot of people will probably chalk it up to, oh, it's a Halloween thing that's happening. Um, yeah, may, maybe we'll go to it. But then there are people that see it and the way it's different from Halloween and it really engages people, I think, is we, we offer sort of, I suppose it's maybe two or three things that you wouldn't necessarily get at Halloween, one of which being we're going to have live fire, you know, we're going to allow you to come round that bonfire with us and really be almost in the face of that fire and the acrobatics that we're doing. So we allow you to be really close up to what some would say are quite dangerous elements in a controlled environment. And so we allow that where, you know, a lot of Halloween practices will be We'll go to a party, um, you know, we might go out drinking or we'll watch scary movies or we'll go guising. And I think what we offer is something quite unique in that you're not doing any of those, but you can dress up and you can come and you can be like right in the face of this thing that you don't usually get to play with. So because fire is something, that, again, people don't really get in their day to day life. It's something that stands out to people. And. The other thing is that our festival is very much open to everyone and what we have is there may be certain parts that are strictly sort of divided between audience and performers mm -hmm. um, but you will also have groups that are wandering through the hill and wander through the crowd so you've got that interactive experience as well so I, I suppose the best example I can think is in the States um, where you have those sort of haunted house experiences where you go in and you interact with a scary house sort of scenario. Um, we offer that in a particular way where you can come, you can be watching something happening in front of you and just behind you there could be people um, doing acrobatics or who are coming through wielding fire through the audience. Um, and, you know, you can be really up in the face of that and almost engage in such a way. And we do have some groups that even interact with the audience so at Samhain 
We'll generally have more trickstery groups who will maybe hand out things to people where they'll try and get audience members to come into the circle and dance with them for a bit. And so we give them not only just the spectacle of fire and a bit of danger, um, but also we offer them the chance to come in and have a play with us as well. So it's not just performing to them. They can be part of that performance if they wish at points. And I think that's really helped keep people engaged. Um, plus, I think it's quite, it's quite, it's been quite interesting as well. The last couple of years, we've seen quite a bit of popularity in people attending our Samhain event. And um, so much so that we actually had to move it to a more ticketed format um, where before it used to be free and we would sort of have a procession down the Royal Mile, um, which is one of the main streets in Edinburgh city centre. Um, we've had to move that over to Colton Hill and sort of ticket space just because so many people were coming along and to make sure it was sort of health and safety compliant with all the people trying to crowd into the street. Um, so we found it quite interesting that there's been over the last two or three years um, a lot of people really wanting to connect and come and see what we're offering. So I think it's been interesting that although we may be in the last 20 years, we sort of had an unequal feeling of how do we engage people. The last two or three years, we've really found that people want to engage in that more and they really want to learn a bit more about their sort of shared heritage and sort of have this play with us on the hill. Wow, well done. It means that you're doing great. I mean, if you're getting so many people interested and I'm guessing not only from Scotland, but from all over, right? Um, I think we, we tend to have a majority that come sort of locally. I think the last time we looked, it was about 60 to sort of 65% were from either Scotland or the rest of the United Kingdom. Um, and then we did have quite a bit of international travel. So we know that we've had people come over from sort of Canada, Peru, Brazil, um, the United States, Germany. Um, basically, we've had people come from a wide berth of places um, to come and see what we've offered because it's become a bit of a cultural highlight for Edinburgh in a sense. And obviously, Edinburgh prides itself on being a international um, festival city where we have various other things like the Fringe and Hogmanay. And so we've become sort of part of the calendar, as it were, which really allows people to come, see what we offer, but then also get to play around and see what else of um, Scottish culture they want to embrace while they're here, which has been really lovely. Great. That's very interesting, you know, to have like a huge impact like that in other places. As you know, our mission as a St. Andrew Society is to keep like Scottish traditions alive for people, you know, for mainly for uh, Scots that live here in Mexico and for everyone that's interested in Scottish culture in general. So do you think it's important for all Scots to keep these traditions alive even when we're like living far away? Do you have any idea of how we could as a society incorporate these ideas or these traditions in our events, like from a distance? Yeah, I think it's... You know, I, I am a big advocate of people sharing their culture um, with others around the world. So I, I, I feel it's very important for, you know, Scots um, who are abroad and living elsewhere in the world to definitely share that culture that they've got with them, with other people, and vice versa, to learn from those people that they're with um, about their culture. So um, I think, yeah, the the beautiful thing about shaving cultures is you learn more about other people as well as about yourself. And so I would definitely urge every Scot out there in the world, um, 
you know, to go out and share what knowledge you have of your shared heritage from Scotland and the culture that that brings, but also to make sure that you're not just dominating other cultures, but learning from them as well. Um, and I think, you know, easy ways for, for Scots abroad to recognise Samhain and integrate that into celebrations is, you know, simple things such as um, lighting a candle in the window um, around Samhain. Um, again, that was another sort of practice that it let your loved ones um, have a light to come home to. Um, so when the veil was thinnest between the worlds, that was something that they could do. And I think, you know, where it's possible for people, if they're thinking of having a small bonfire, you know, inviting other people and just sharing the stories of your culture or, um, you know, rec recollections of the past and things like that. I think those are really beautiful and meaningful ways for people to engage, but are also very simple because all it takes is a bit of firewood, a bit of kindling, some good weather if you're lucky, and then, you know, other people to just engage with that. And I think those are the really simple ways that people can do that. It doesn't have to be, you know, massive bonfires with 500 odd people gathered around or people doing acrobatics. Um, but, you know, where there is scope for people to engage in maybe making masks and playing with that sort of shared heritage and reading up on mythology and taking from that, I, I'd welcome them to do that. But even just simple things such as candles and bonfires with friends are, are small ways that you can share that culture. Oh, it, it's such a shame that we can't do something like that this year because of, you know, like the whole situation. But I, I'll make sure to organize it for next year if it's possible, because it sounds like a very nice way to bring the community together and, and you know, have a, a really nice time. Like our community is not that big, but we always try to, you know, to get together for special occasions and have a good time and a good laugh and dance so that would be like a very nice way of bringing something new to the table but also you know like reclaim tradition so thanks for the for the idea and uh speaking of which uh what are you going to do for this year's you're changing the format i assume to online or what what's the plan <laughs> yes um <laughs> this year Samhain will will definitely be um quite unique in how we practice it um obviously as everyone in the world is aware with coronavirus, um, a lot of sort of physical gatherings around the world have had to be cancelled or postponed. Um, and one of one of the issues that we face is that Samhain isn't something you really postpone. It happens whether or not we recognise it because it is the changing of the seasons. And, we're, you know, mankind isn't that powerful yet that we've controlled all the seasons. Um, but what we have what we are doing is an online event to sort of mark that and we were really lucky that well i say lucky but i think we were really we, we lucked out in that obviously when coronavirus happened um when scotland went into lockdown um we were very much half we were basically beginning the ball rolling for belting back in um for the end of april so we made the call in march to cancel Belting the physical event, and we had a trial run of putting on an online event um, within the space of a month, which generally we have two or three months to get our events ready. So it was a bit, bit of a breakneck speed. <laughs> and, and luckily, we found that a lot of the engagement um, for our Belting event, which we called Bonfire, um, so it was the online fire festival, basically, and we shortened it to Bonfire, 
we'd we'd found that people really appreciated that online capacity to engage. Um, it meant that a lot of the people who are overseas um, were maybe just not even close to Edinburgh within Scotland who wouldn't be able to travel for the event. They got to engage in something that they felt they wouldn't be able to engage in previously. And it also helped give a better narrative to the story um, of Beltane. So for Samhain, we've decided to do the same sort of setup for that. We've had a bit of a longer run in time, which has been a thankful blessing. <laughs> Um, so it's not been too breakneck speed. And what we're calling this one is sort of house fire. So again, we're gathering people around the online fire, as it were. Um, and we want to gather people around because we know this year has been tough for everyone around the world. And we really want to have a little bit more joy before we go into at least what we know in Scotland is going to be a very uncertain winter with what restrictions are going to bring. And I imagine a lot of people around the world are facing the same thing. So we're wanting to do a sort of joyful experience, um, you know, to bring us together as a global community again. And so we've got our volunteers who are preparing sort of video clips, um, whether that is of some acrobatics they've been doing, whether it is for fire spinning, um, whether it's them reading poems that they've written or singing. And um, so a variety of activities that they're doing either as individuals or as sort of one or two people meeting up because we've been quite strict about um, how much people can meet up just to make sure we're not um, passing anything through our volunteer community because we wouldn't want that to happen. So, yeah, we've got a lot of sort of individual things being crafted together while we're weaving it into the grand narrative of, you know, the transition of summer into winter and how we face the darker half of the year together as a community. So we're looking at about a two hour sort of live stream that will happen some point on October 31st. Um, and as with what we did with Bonfire for Beltane, um, that will be available afterwards for people. So it's not like people only have that one night to see it where they've had one night to see us generally when we've had our physical festivals. So it's something that, you know, if people feel that yeah, I'm not feeling it on the 31st, but I'm going to do, maybe I'll watch it on the 2nd of November, or, you know, I'll do it a little bit later on when I feel a bit more up to sitting at the computer for two hours. Um, you know, that's there and available for people. And what we've also started to organise is where people, obviously a lot of people are feeling like Zoom fatigue, sitting at the computer, working all day fatigue, and then talking to friends online. What we've also devised is we're giving instructions on how to hold your own sawin, um, you know, as an individual in your back garden or if you go out for a walk and how you can sort of meditate and how you can sort of feel connected to the seasons. Um, so there's a little, a couple of sort of exercises in that that we're putting together that we want to publish um, on our website like we did again with Belton so that people can have a, offline experience as well as, a, as well as an online because we know that you know you don't engage with the natural world by sitting at your laptop or your tv um indoors all the time but we also want to encourage people to go out there and experience the changing of the seasons if it's safe to do so in a way that they want to engage in hopefully oh that's great you thought of everything it's <laughs> it's very very nice yeah you're right we all deserve a little bit of happiness in these dark times and yeah and we also need to disconnect from the screens like we live inside the the virtual world these days so it's uh, it's very thoughtful of you to 
to have like organized something that includes uh, outdoor activities as well. And the other great thing is that since it's going to be online, we can attend from this side of the world as well, right? Yep. Free to anyone. Uh, yeah, it's free to access to anyone across the world. So it is a lot more open than we maybe have been by only having physical events in the past, which has been really great to allow a sort of global community to really come together. Great. Yeah. So we'll make sure to you know pass on the information to all the the community so that they can all you know like learn more and attend uh, your event and you know be be in touch with everything that you're doing and. So I want to say congratulations for all your great work. It's um, amazing. And thank you so much for, for taking the time for, for us today. So is there anything else you want to add uh, you know, to say to our audience? Um, I don't, I, I think I've talked quite a bit, but I think my last thing would just be to wish everyone a sort of happy Samhain or if Samhain is not your thing, you know, whatever sort of event you're celebrating around this time of year, um, you know, I, I wish everyone warmest for it because, yeah, it's been an uncertain year and it's all about coming together as a community to look after each other at this time of year before the winter hits. So, yeah, just a happy seasoning to whatever um, sort of doctrine or event you follow. Great. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to chat with you. And we also wish you the best of luck in the upcoming festivities. Thank you very much. <laughs> been great to talk to you great so we'll be in touch thank you very much okay that was all for today thank you so much for joining us and listening to this episode of the saint andrews podcast we hope you enjoyed it if you did make sure to subscribe and tell your friends please feel free to visit our social media and leave us a comment see you next time